Hi, hope you're all well. I'm Viv and I'm the face behind Skin Farmer Aesthetics in Stockton on Tees. Tonight um, I'm joined again by Sunny and we're going to be talking about our journey with ultrasound in our aesthetics work. This evening we're continuing with our chats. Hi Sunny. We're continuing our chats with practitioners around the world who make use of ultrasound in their aesthetics work. And this evening we're joined, we're joined by Dr. Zainab Al-Mukhtar, who's a dentist based in London. How are you doing, Sonny? I'm good, Viv. How are you? Fine, yes. Doing well. Uh, time flies, doesn't it? I think it doesn't seem that long ago since we were on. No, I mean, we were in Florida on Sunday. No, yeah. Months, wasn't <laughs> so, um, <laughs> we're all over the place. Yeah, no, I mean, already, um, thanks everyone for joining. And obviously we're just waiting, waiting for Zainab. So it should be really interesting because... We've not really spoken about uh, non-surgical rhinoplasties, have we? Um, and I know that Zainab um, is uh, definitely a well, specialist in it. Um, we've got a big hello from um, Stephen, Dr. Harris Clinic. Thank you very much. Hi, Stephen. Yes, uh, I think he enjoys, he, he enjoys watching us, I think, uh, Sonny. I, I have no idea why, but if it works, it works. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I, th I think uh, I think people um, understand how much interest we have. Um, hello. hello, hello, hello. Hi. Nice to see you, Zainab. You've had a busy day today. I think uh, good, good long, out, good long number of hours in in work. Was it? Ah, uh, yeah, really long, from eight forty-five till about seven thirty. So, Ooh. yes. <laughs> can I just say? Can I just say that? Out of all of us that have had long days, whatever you're doing, can you afterwards can you tell us? Because you still look as fresh as yeah. in the morning. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm sure people watching will say you look amazing. So whatever you're doing, tell us afterwards. <laughs> well, it's nothing more than concealer. <laughs> oh well, okay, oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I, th I think you, you, you're certainly looking good, Zainab, and thanks for joining us this evening. Um, tonight, we thought we'd chat with you because of your fantastic work dealing with non-surgical rhinoplasty, um, work on the, on the nose aesthetically, and also combining that with ultrasound. Um, so what I'll do, I'll let Sonny handle the first part of the chat. I know you're in a rush because we've got about half an hour and we'll try and keep it to that time. Um, but I'll let Sonny start and then talk a little bit about your background, uh, Zainab. Sure, so I'm a dentist by background. I qualified in 2010, so about 12 years ago. And it feels like the other day, time flies. And then about three years into being a dentist, <clears throat> I explored a facial aesthetics course, not really thinking that it was going to be something I would love that much. It was just something I thought I would understand and see what it was all about. And I absolutely fell in love with the whole concept and saw that it was something I could integrate quite well, which I did really very steadily into my practice at the time. Um, and then uh, I transitioned from NHS dentistry, National Health Service, to towards private dentistry and kind of found my niche in cosmetic dentistry around 2015. And then um, I found that because I had then found my niche in dentistry, which was aesthetic, it was even easier to marry that up with facial aesthetics. And then wasn't before long that I found that I was kind of using both to treat my parent patients. And it was kind of, I had this dual approach where 
we would do our smile design and then we would also look at perioral rejuvenation and kind of frame the smile. And I loved that element. And I think one of the big parts of, you know, why I kind of carried on doing both, although they're both quite demanding disciplines, was because of that combination that I enjoyed. Um, but I found over the years that the more time I've spent in facial aesthetics, you know, doing a lot of teaching, I started teaching in facial aesthetics in 2014, so quite early on in my facial aesthetics career. So it's been about eight, nine years of teaching, which I absolutely love. Um, it's a lot to take on, there's a lot going on. So over time, I think the, the, the kind of split between facial aesthetics and dentistry has definitely moved more towards facial aesthetics. More so since I bought my own practice with my husband, who we, we I co-owned the practice with him. And we did that in 2018. And so we created this kind of niche thing of dental and facial aesthetics. And um, because he's a dentist and we could easily bring on fantastic dentists into the, onto the team, I found that over time it was easier to allow them to do more of the dentistry. And now I'm very selective about the dental cases I take on. I still keep it. I keep, keep you know, my hands in it because I enjoy it. Um, but it's much less than it used to be. And now facial aesthetics is a huge part of what I do. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Zainab. I mean, uh, there's so much there that I know we've only got half an hour. So I'm going to be really clear with my questions. So first of all, um, you are really popular because there's a lot of people watching. So thank you. And I know it's not, it's not me and Viv, it's you. So that's really amazing. <laughs> um, and, and, and also, secondly, you've just answered a very good question. I'm actually going to be presenting, hopefully, fingers crossed, to some dental associates very soon about the marriage between uh, dentistry and aesthetics and how they go well together. So you've literally just done my presentation. So I'm just going to cut and paste that. Um, now... Well have more of a chat about it. It's a big subject that I feel really passionate about. So we will, we'll get you, look, the numbers that you've got, the ratings wise, we'll get you back on definitely. So uh, that's not a problem. Um, okay, so that's a, it's a really good background, really good history. And you know, you, you just nailed it there where you said there's two very different disciplines and you found a niche. Um, before we just get on to the question of uh, ultrasound, one of the things that you know, you're well known for is non-surgical rhinoplasty. Um, questions are, when did you first start doing it? And what did you encounter any fears in doing, which is a very specialized technique? Um, was there anything hesitancy before you started going, you know, full throttle with it? Really good question. So I started non-surgical rhinoplasty in 2017. And before that, I had said to myself, I'm never doing noses <laughs> because we all knew, we all know how high risk they are. Um, and then I found that so many of my patients were asking for it. And it was something that I thought, well, again, let me go and at least learn. Let me see what, you know, whether this is something that I want to do or not. So I carried out the, the relevant course. Um, that was just the start. Of course, there was still always a lot of caution um, you know, when injecting, you can't help but think about everything. And, and that doesn't go away. It shouldn't go away, really. Um, but it was definitely there more at the beginning. Um, and then with, you know, I, I kind of developed a technique. I developed and modified, um, started streamlining the technique, if you like. I was fortunate that both my sister and I were both doing lots of noses. And so we would share notes. Um, it was a really great learning experience. Patient satisfaction, thankfully, has been high, which, of course, 
continues to drive that want to deliver that treatment. And then before long, that was one of my, probably my most highly sought after treatments in terms of fillers. Um, and then ultrasound happened. That was last year, uh, which of course we can go into. Um, but non-surgical rhinoplasty has up until the ultrasound point been a case of constantly double checking myself. I give all filler patients who I treat, particularly in the nose, a contact number directly to me. I very openly tell them what to look out for, you know, and touch wood, thankfully, I haven't had a problem. Um, never say never, and we all know that these things can happen in, in all hands. Um, but yeah, definitely have a very prudent approach. And so for me, you know, ultrasound was an no-brainer. I mean, you've, you've just you've just said it there, and I, I think for those people watching who are you know aesthetic practitioners and patients as well, is that what Zainab just described is a, an evidence-based approach, standardising her technique, developing her own technique, her own style, and I mean that's really good, Zainab. So those people watching, you know, that's what you have to do. It takes time. You know, it's not a like you said, just a two-day course. There's so much more, and that's why when you have these sort of treatments, you should go to a medical practitioner because. You're drawing on years and years of training. It's nothing to do with the actual technique. It's that preparation. So thank you so much for that. Viv, I think you had some, I'm just conscious of Zainab's time. Just, uh, you're going to ask about uh, research and stuff. So I'll, I'll hand over to you for that one. Yeah, um, it was just a little bit about the ultrasound aspect of your work, Zainab. Um, you, you're going to be starting training, um, doing your facial contouring masterclass with um, acquisition aesthetics, I think, soon. You've been really busy with that. But prior to that, you've done some uh, training provision with um, with ARM, with the Academy of Re Regenerative Medicine. How how did you find the training when you were doing that, uh, um, dealing with practitioners? How did you find that training work that you were doing? I think it was a successful training uh, opportunity. I think that it. I think with teaching, what it does is it really tests you. It challenges you. You've got to make sure that you know what you're talking about when you're teaching. So. Whenever there is an opportunity to teach, it pushes me. Um, and so, I mean, if you're asking how with the, the, the day, I mean, I think that it's, uh, it was a small group training. You were there that day, weren't you, Bev? And yes, I yes. think with small group, it was pretty straightforward. It's nice. There's lots of opportunity for questions. I think it's quite intimate. Um, and we'll see what the future holds in terms of opportunities to teach ultrasound. But right now, yeah, hands are full with the facial contouring course. And the contouring course is not including the non-surgical rhinoplasty because there's a separate masterclass for non-surgical rhino, which is which is led by my sister. So, and I co-teach on that. Um, but the facial contouring will not include that. will include almost everything but the nose. Uh, so, yeah. well, so for people, I think there might be a few questions actually. For people watching, when is, you know, how can they get in touch with you in regards to the masterclass, the facial contouring, where, who, where, the, where should they go to for that? So there is, on my bio, there is a link tree. If you click the link tree, it's at the top. It will say Facial Contouring Masterclass. Click that link and it will take you straight there for booking. Brilliant. Perfect. But I interrupted you there. You're on a roll. So your sister and obviously you co-teach with the non-surgical, the facial contouring. Um, and Viv, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sort of read each of the mind about the ultrasound questions. But um, do we see an opportunity to bring ultrasound into your facial contouring class? Or is that something that you want to do separately, perhaps, in the future? Probably. 
Well, I teach on behalf of acquisition aesthetics. So we have to coordinate our ethos, our goals, and so on. Um, I think that at, as it stands at the moment, ultra not a component of the course, but we're just launching it. So it's going to be the first one is, is October. And we're going to see how that goes. I think it's a conversation to have still. Um, and it, it will, if time allows, I would love for it to be included in the course, at least for, for some of the higher risk areas. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it was, I was going to be talking also about the writing that you do. You do a lot of uh, writing in, in magazines and publications. Um, there was one particular article that you wrote recently in the Aesthetics Journal. Um, practitioners may have had a read of it. You did a really nice article about non-surgical rhinoplasty and maintaining safety by using ultrasound. And it, it was a really nice article because you also asked me to help you a little bit in that article. It's in the, that's just a shot of where it is. It's in the Aesthetics Journal in the June edition, a few months old. Um, it's available online for anybody that wants to read it. Um, but in that article, I'll just grab that next image and get it working. Be one sec, Zainab. Sure. What I was about to say is it's, it's very hard to unsee what you've seen. So when treating high-risk areas, you know, I would want to be using ultrasound. At least that's what I'm doing in, in my clinic now. So the three areas that are, it all started, it evolves, right? The use of ultrasound, how you choose to integrate it into your practice. And for me, it started off being every area that I treated was when pre-scanning. A lot of that was for me to learn and practice. And then I streamlined it to deciding that there were certain parts of the face I would always pre-scan. Um, so the three areas that I always pre-scan are the nose, the piriform fossa, and the temple now, for obvious reasons. Um, so yeah, that was just going on, on on the last thing we're talking about the facial contouring course. But yeah, to ask me that again, maybe in a few months, and I will tell you. <laughs> but uh, again, in that, in that article in the Aesthetics Journal, there was some work um, involving some of the scans that you carried out. And I did a little bit of CGI work on those scans, um, just so people could see the information more easily, um, identify what you were talking about. Um, you've also carried out work uh, public publication you've you've written in the dentistry magazine as well um you've spoken to um, practitioners via publications about ultrasound are you going to be doing more and more writing about ultrasound use in aesthetics you know? uh if asked to i'd love to uh all of you know writing takes a lot of time and uh i think i've learned over time that there's so much we can do and we can we can do a lot but we can't do it all at the same time uh the, in short, the answer is yes, I'd absolutely love to. Probably not right now just because of the launch of this course and a few other speaking engagements coming up. But uh, yeah, if there's, a, if there's a gap in something that I can add value to, then I would love to. What right. speaking engagements? Oh, you can't, you can't drop that in there, Zainab, and not tell us what the speaking engagements are. That sounds interesting. What are you doing? Well, CMAC is, is one of them. So speaking at CMAC yeah. on ultrasound as a practice. Uh, and, and, I, and I guess how I've in, integrated that into my practice, what the learning curve has been like, you know, how it's benefited, perhaps what the limitations are, you know, how I can help other new practitioners maybe streamline their journey so they can, you know, do it a bit faster. We've obviously learned some things the hard way. So I'll be, I'll be speaking about that and it will be first thing in the morning, first day of the CMAC uh, agenda. We will be there. Just, um, just for those watching who maybe have thinking about getting ultrasound one of the hesitancies i think that we we come across is like 
I don't have enough time. Will I have enough time? And we've spoken about it with previous practitioners and you just kind of mentioned it there, but I'm just going to get you to sort of focus on it just for the benefit of people watching. You've got a standardized approach. I mean, how long is this adding onto your kind of treatment time, yeah. your kind of your treatment slot? Super important question. So at the beginning, a lot of time, it was like, how long is a piece of string? And part of that is because you don't really know very well what you're looking at. You're, you know, because you've, you've done the training, but you're still trying to decipher it. You know, every patient is slightly different. Um, you get curious as well. So you might carry on, you do one feature and then you just think, well, let me just check that feature and that feature. And time is passing and you've got people waiting. So you've got to have a cutoff point, I think. You've got to kind of make sure that you're doing, you've got a certain goal for that patient. Yeah. And yeah curiosity a bit there will be time for that or you have to make time for that um what's happened kind of organically over time is that through repetition you know you you, you become better at it and uh, and so the time is shorter um and of course the technique becomes more i think another big thing is that just getting your posture right with scanning is so important um and it can really speed things up because you know, you get things right, your, your angles are correct, using the right amount of gel and so on. So lots of things around the technique can help you use it faster. But if I had to say, what is the single most important thing? It's, it's just practice and getting familiar. And once you really know what you're looking at, you go straight to it. You know what you're looking at. You'll scan for maybe a minute or two. Yeah. You find the nose or, or the tip of the nose. And then you know. But I'll tell you what I have, what I have found is that the longer you scan, the more there is a chance that you will see something else. So I find that although there is a temptation to say, okay, I've seen the first vessel, I know where it is, it's worth following the trajectory a little bit of that vessel, double checking and looking at at least another angle um, because sometimes things come up. So I give on average about five, five to seven minutes of scanning a nose before I inject now, but it used to be easily half an hour when I was new. It does, it, does take some, it does take time when you first start, but as you say, practice improves what you do and you get used to what you see more easily once you've scanned again and again. Um, but coming on to that, based on the work you do with the ultrasounds, Zainab, I thought it'd be interesting just to show a few uh, pictures and videos of some of the work that you do with nasal uh, ultrasound scans. Um, so I've got the first one here. This one's um, one of your posts involving a longitudinal scan from the bridge to the nasal tip. And you can just talk about it if you like, Zainab. I'll just get it up. Give me one second. There we go. So this one mm. shows the so, uh, position. Yeah. So this is actually one of my early scans. And uh, the only reason I've kind of pinned it is because it was an effort to create that video and, and make it streamlined in order for you to be able to see yeah. the nose. However, if I were to criticize that scan now, I would say that we need to put much less pressure on so we can see a little bit more of each layer. But you can see, I mean, it's labeled, you can see the, the bone, you can see where the filler is, you can see where the vessel is, you can see where the, the fatty layer is just before the skin. So it gives you at least an idea of the difference also in thickness of the tissues as you go down from the ring. Yeah, I'm, I mean, great, great aesthetic result though. And yeah. then backed up by ultrasound. I mean, that is a an absolutely brilliant result. For those people watching, I mean, uh, obviously that's the before. And then, sorry, Zen, I've interrupted. Go ahead. No, I was done. I'll get, I'll get the other, um, the actual video scan that you 
sent um, a while back, Zena. This is uh, one of the earliest scans you sent me. Yeah. Yes. So we can see there that the vessel is not touching the periosteum. But this is a kind of case where you've seen that for a few seconds, but it's worth carrying on checking the trajectory of that vessel. Does it end up touching bone somewhere? You know, does it have a convoluted uh, path? Um, but, you know, I think it, I must have sent this to you. To, what, did I want you to see GI Augment? Yeah, you did, didn't you? Yes. This is one yeah. of publication, I think. This was one in the publication, yes. Yeah. So... I mean, most of the vessels we see in this area will be in the subcutaneous layer. Um, but we have seen vessels kind of really close to the bone. And in one case, almost looking like it's tethered to the bone. Of course, it isn't. But the fact is, it's that close. So it's, yeah, it's eye-opening. And once you see that sort of thing, it's going to change your practice. You're going to not make the decision to then inject the bone. And if indeed it's going to change my clinical practice, how can I then not inject ultrasound to my noses? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been, it's blown me away actually what I've seen on ultrasound, especially in the nose. And this, this is one of those scans that, that, was, uh, that was helpful to you, detecting a vascular bundle of the nasal tape. Um, it's in your post. Again, you've detected this using ultrasound, so you basically avoided causing a complication. I'll just get that back up probably one second, Zainab. There we go. Yeah, and I mean, look, we, we injected noses for a long time without ultrasound, and I guess through a very prudent approach, very small amounts, you know, aspirating, um, and, and just being as careful as possible and adding every layer of precaution we could in our technique before ultrasound, We've been forced to cause an occlusion. But when you see something like that, you can't then just go and inject there. It doesn't make any sense because then if anything were to happen, you had prior knowledge. So what does this mean? It means at least we have this extra layer of precaution that allows us to make decisions. And, and don't forget with, with patients, you know, some patients have had fillers for years in the same area and one out of 10 times they will have a, a, a vascular occlusion. So, you know, sometimes it's luck. Um, so yeah, we've got to value the fact that we can see this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. This, this is um, this is one particular post where it was assessing a complication, and I think um, in the picture you contacted Leonie Schalke to get some advice about how to deal with this patient. It wasn't one of your patients, was it, Zena? So this is a case that I mean, Leonie is such a hero. Um, we all her praises because she has just honestly I mean this was a case that was it's interesting what happened I'll give you a little bit of background um, I and this was my the beginning of my ultrasound journey is I met I witnessed uh, my sister help a colleague uh, deal with a case of septal necrosis um, about end of summer last year and she did everything she could, but because it, there was still not full resolution, she sent the patient to have an ultrasound all the way in Scotland. We didn't have ultrasound at the time, all the way in Scotland to see Dr. Cormac. And he unpacked his ultrasound, had Dr. Leone um, involved as well in assisting him. And I think he's super at ultrasound now. Um, but at that time, it was, it was, uh, this is the story that I know of. And so when I found out that it took that to solve that case, 
I, I remember sitting with my sister and saying, we both do noses so much, we need to get ultrasounds. So we got ultrasounds and then I had to, I, there was no training courses around at the time. So I had to try and teach myself, which was really, really challenging. I mean, where do you start? So I had books open. Um, I was scanning my kids, my husband, myself. I organized some Zoom calls with Clarius, with sonographers on the other side of the world, who, you know, at like midnight, trying to spend an hour understanding how to use the Clarius. Got to a point where, you know, I was really just playing around with it, trying to get it. And then this course came up with Leonie. Um, and when it was announced and advertised, of course, booked it straight away, went on the course and learned formally how to use ultrasound. And then a month after that, I was referred this other patient with symptoms of sexual necrosis. And I thought, okay, let's see her. She came in, had all the same symptoms and signs as that first patient. I thought, how uncanny, you know, we don't have guidance on septal necrosis in the industry. There's not, there's I think one case report at the moment. But fortunately, because of that first case, it's it created a kind of a, a, a framework of what we should do. So I used my, but I was still very new to the scanner at the time. And this area, the nasal uh, spine area is very tricky to, to scan when you're not used to using it, you know, and, and uh, trying to trace that superior labial artery and so on. But I did what I could and I dissolved the filler that was deep on bone and the patient said she had a, an improvement in symptoms. But the thing with septal necrosis is you can't assess just from the skin, it's all going on inside. So I had to get an ENT report and the story is long and hopefully I can publish this at some point. So I try not to say too much about the detail. But what eventually happened was I still felt that I wasn't satisfied, although the patient's symptoms she's saying are improving we don't have a visual and i at the time being so ultrasound needed a bit more than that so i asked leonie if she could have a look and she said i'll jump on a call with you and at 7 a.m the next morning she jumped on the on a facetime call and had a look with me and said there is a tiny little i mean it was really tiny bit of superficial kind of anechoic area I said to see that just go and target it and i did and the patient said she felt this immediate release of pressure inside her nose. Wow. And that for me was like, wow. And this is at the beginning, right? So, of course, that was amazing. Leonie was just phenomenal being able to do that for me at the time and help patients. This patient actually lives abroad and is here now in the UK. We've become friends and she wants to take me out to dinner. And it's just because I don't think she realized the seriousness of the situation because it's inside until it was all explained. But that story for me Something that really confirmed again the value of ultrasound and why I then began scanning all noses. Um, so yeah, very very quick question, Zainab, because I'm sure that Viv and I will both be thinking it. That area that Leonie picked out, could you see that before Leonie picked it out? Tiny bit of superficial, and I mean, like literally a drop. I almost struggled to see it. She said it's right there and kind of pointed, and she said just go with your high lace right there, um, guide it, but. I wish I had recorded the snaps at the time because it was all, you know, a situation where you're just trying to resolve it because it would have been great to see, but it was so tiny. Um, I think she has just superb eyes. She knows what she's looking for. Well, I mean, to be honest, what, what I would say is that, you know, just that story that you described, you know, the books, the train, literally it's like a movie, the training montage, the books open at, you know, late at night, scanning everyone, and then you get to the, the fight scene, which is basically that one thing. And, you know, you succeeded, you won, and that's amazing for the patient. And that's, again, a reminder. Um, you know, so much passion you've got for this. It's amazing to hear. 
um, and obviously a, a good conclusion to the story because of your training, you know, your medical training and the niche that you've carved out. Um, conscious of your time, and I'm sure I'll give the last question, but the one thing we always ask um, everyone that comes on is where do you see the trends in ultrasound and aesthetics? Where, where, where would you like to see it? Where do you think it's going? I think that we're going to see that it's going to be used more. It will be more widespread. I think it will be appreciated as both a learning tool of anatomy, the behavior of fillers over time. I think that's something that is, is something that's it's going to take a lot of research. And I think there are people doing it, but that's going to be really interesting to see. I myself, I'm looking at kind of what's going on with my filler over time. It's changing in echogenicity and it's so interesting to see what's happening with the vascularity around, around filler. Um, of course, I think and hope that there will be more clinicians using it just as a pre-assessment tool for vascular mapping. And I think in terms of uh, treating complications, I think it's going to be gold standard. I, I can't see how it won't be. Um, it's, I think the value of it's already been shown. Um, so, yeah. And I think also outside of, um, outside of looking at fillers, I think it will be, I'm starting to kind of really look at the other layers of, you know, fats. Um, in different thicknesses of fat, we might, you know, we can really expand. I'm sure this is being done by some clinicians already. Really expand into looking at how we can use ultrasound to case select when to use different treatments for different skin for different layers. So in the skin, we'll look at collagen. That's already been being done. Fat dissolving, perhaps for cool sculpting. I'd like to see that happen. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you, Viv. Amazing, thanks very much, Zainab. I know time flies, um, unfortunately, and we'd love to have you back on again at some point when uh, when we can discuss more areas of ultrasound use and aesthetics. Um, but just one last question. If a practitioner out there is watching and they're thinking, mm, what, what would you suggest for me in terms of ultrasound? I'm interested in it. Um, I don't know much about it. I've been watching Sunny and Viv every week, but I still, I still need more. What would you say to them if they wanted to find out about ultrasound and using it in their own practice? What should they do? I mean, if they're watching and they're, they're probably uh, following one of our pages, I think just reach out and ask me anything about it, my experiences. I'm sure anybody who's passionate about ultrasound would be really happy to answer, you know, in the interest of patients you know, uh, patient treatments and, and safety. Um, this is ultimately our goal collectively. So um, I think nobody is not going to be happy to talk about, you know, the value. And I think really the, a lot of the questions people have are around the practicalities, which can be quite easily explained and ironed out. Uh, I think, look, ultrasound is something that you need to understand why you're bringing it in, because what you don't want is for it to just sit in the cupboard and then for you to be you want to use it and not know how to so i think you do need to carve out time and and create a level of commitment towards learning it but first see the value in it so that you do that but i think yeah absolutely reach out great thank you very much zena very kind of you um that's pretty much it uh next week we have um a sonographer from the states um candy steery she's based in portland in oregon and she'll be joining us on thursday the 22nd at 8 30 p.m so it'd be um, great to speak to her but we just wanted to say from both of us really yeah. a big thank you for for talking about your work and for giving advice and guidance about using ultrasound in aesthetics so thank you very much zainab thank you very much
Pleasure. Thanks for having me. And what I will also say is with the CMAC lecture, with the CMAC conference, that that will be a really good source of information. It's not just going to be on ultrasound. It's going to be everything in a it's complications related, but there will be a big emphasis on ultrasound and Leone will be leading that aspect, but also we'll have Stephen Weiner, uh, Dr. MJ Rowland, Dr. Harris and others talking about ultrasound. So I think for somebody really wanting, it's kind of itching to know more, that's the place to go and it's November the 19th and 20th. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's at, it's in London at the IET and um, anyone watching can book via the CMAC website or link on, on the Instagram page of CMAC. Thanks again, Zainab. Um, we just wanted, just wanted to say a big thank you from both of us. And um, really, we'll hope to speak to you again at some point in the future. And we will definitely see you at CMAC in November because both of us will be there. So we'll have a good chat with you there. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. I'll see you guys Thanks, soon. Zainab. Thank you. Thanks, Viv. Thanks, Sunny. Thanks, Bye -bye. Zainab. Bye-bye.